Turn with me in your Bibles to to John chapter 8. The plan is to go through verses 31 to 47 today. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience. Uh, It's not a a particularly profound one, so don't get too excited. Uh, But I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, being on a boat or near some sort of a water body uh, and looking at said water uh, just with your, your naked eyes, as it were, uh, and subsequently of, of putting on a pair of uh, polarised sunglasses with so sunglasses with polarised lenses. Uh, and at times, depending on uh, the reflections and whatnot on the, the water, uh, it can be quite amazing how much you can subsequently see once you have the glasses on of the, the ocean floor beneath or the, the lake, the water body floor beneath. Uh, you know, potentially there's uh, not a whole lot that you can see as you look at it with the naked eye. Uh, and after you put these glasses on, Uh, There can be a lot of beauty that you can see under the water. I don't know the science of it, but with how the the polarised lenses work. I'm tempted to say that the the Pharisees and the the Jews uh, throughout the the last little bit that we've been reading and indeed throughout the entirety of John uh, are somewhat similar uh, to folks looking at, uh, at water with just the naked eye or even worse, uh, with eyes closed so that they, they do not see a thing. Uh, and yet they have been offered uh, polarised lenses, as it were, by the, the original and best manufacturer. Not a, not a cheap copy, uh, but in this case, by the Lord of glory, the Messiah. Uh, he offers them these, metaphorically, uh, polarised lenses, such that they would be able to see uh, wonderful things uh, and know the God of all. Yet they pridefully, the Pharisees that is, uh, and the Jews, they pridefully continue to reject him, uh, preferring closed eyes or blackout lenses, depending on which metaphor you prefer. Last time uh, I preached, I I preached through John chapter 8, verses 21 to 30. uh, And just again, by way of reminder, the points were were fourfold and were as follows. Uh, Firstly, be like Jesus. Be like him who is from above. Secondly, believe in Jesus, the God who is from above. Thirdly, believe Jesus' word. He and his word judge rightly. Fourthly and lastly, be humble like Jesus. Imitate him who is from above. And the message before that, uh, the the very basic sum was, don't be like the Pharisees uh, last week arguably be like Jesus, so the negative and the positive. Uh, And this week, I guess, remains to be seen. Make your own judgment call. Uh, But as I say, verses 31 to 47 uh, is what I'm intending to go through. Uh, And I'm going to read just for a bit of extra context from verse 21. Uh, So follow with me now, John 8, starting from verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. 
They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And the text for today. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of sorry, you were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And this is indeed the word of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this section of your most holy word. Help us this day, indeed as the text describes, to, to hear it, to understand it, and to abide in it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for laying these things out so clearly, but thank you additionally, Lord, uh, that you have granted our hearts, uh, as it were, eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, Lord, may this continue to uh, deepen within us, I pray, and may we choose to follow you in every aspect of our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sections that I've uh, I guess, chosen for today are, are verses 31 to 36, uh, describe uh, to be free in Christ or a slave to sin. Verses 37 to 40, how Abraham's children should act. And verses 41 to 47, uh, the actions of God and the devil's children, uh, respectively. And just to be clear, that's the actions of God's children and the actions of the devil's children. Uh, so... Moving right into the text, verses 31 uh, to 36. Free in Christ or a slave to sin. 
And I won't reread the sections as I sometimes do because I'll, I'll quote quite a lot of them uh, throughout each section. But I, I must confess just in, in starting some, some difference between uh, what I understand the motive of our Messiah to be here and what some commentators hold. Uh, all, from what I've found, uh, myself included, uh, believe, I guess in a general sense, that Jesus wants true disciples to progress in the faith, uh, which really is a fairly, uh, fairly safe statement, that Jesus wants true disciples to continue and to progress in their faith. Uh, but the, the nature of Jesus' exhortation to abide in him and the nature of the belief described in verses 30 and 31 uh, is where some of the difference lies. So some of these commentators that I've said, uh, some hold the belief described here to be a genuine one, and hence Jesus is bidding these genuine believers uh, to continue on in that genuine faith, to progress in it. Uh, And later on in the the passage where it seems as if these uh, Jews uh, are detractors of uh, of Jesus and his ministry, uh, some commentators would hold that this is a, a different group of Jews. So he speaks to a a crowd on whole, some believe him, uh, some don't. And so when he's speaking positively to continue in the faith, he's speaking to those genuine ones. And then this other voice of detractors comes from a voice of of non-believers. And I suppose the text doesn't explicitly say one way or the other. So um, do some discernment and do some reading and see what you think. Uh, But I, for one, am more convinced uh, that the belief described in verses 30 and 31 is a a sort of skin-deep belief. And hence, uh, Jesus' subsequent exhortation is designed to weed out the insincerity. Uh, He, as it were, makes the bar higher uh, in order to weed out those who have believed on a sort of surface-level kind of belief. And this is perhaps in line with Jesus not needing anyone to tell him what was in man, as described in John chapter 2, And so he, in my opinion, intentionally hits a nerve so that those who are not true believers will fall away. Calvin has some complementary and useful thoughts uh, which perhaps straddle both sides of the argument. Uh, And it's a reasonably length quote, and I'll, I'll quote it for you here. If you continue in my word, here Christ warns them in the first place that it is not enough for anyone to have begun well if their progress to the end does not correspond to it. And for this reason, he exhorts to perseverance in the faith those who have tasted of his doctrine. When he says that they who are firmly rooted in his word so as to continue in him will be truly, sorry, will truly be his disciples, he means that many profess to be disciples who yet are not so in reality and have no right to be accounted such. He distinguishes his followers from hypocrites by this mark that they who falsely boasted of faith give way as soon as they have entered into the course, or at least in the middle of it. But believers persevere constantly to the end. If, therefore, we wish that Christ should reckon us to be his disciples, we must endeavour to persevere. And so true disciples, uh, says Calvin in line with verse 31, persevere. True disciples persevere to the end. False professors or or false disciples do not, put simply. Uh, And hence, from Calvin, he distinguishes his followers from hypocrites by this mark, that they who falsely boasted of faith give way at one point or another. 
But if you are to, uh, to take on my stance on things that uh, Jesus is essentially uh, giving this subsequent exhortation in order to weed out insincere believers. If you personally had, had declared the, the gospel to someone, had described who the Messiah is, he's the, the saviour of the world, he's the, the saving one who uh, the Jews had waited on at this point uh, for so long to come. He is God in flesh, he's to judge the world in righteousness. And if the person who you were talking to, or the crowd indeed who you were talking to, uh, professed to believe you on every point, would your uh, subsequent action or exhortation be uh, to say, fantastic, continue on, believer? Or would it be uh, to, to raise the bar, as it were? Would you subsequently go on to test the commitment? Would you attempt to describe to the person or the crowd uh, what it really means to count the cost of following Christ uh, in the world which you lived in? Would you point out an area of the Christian walk which you think might be most difficult to this individual or might be uh, most offensive to them? This is perhaps what Jesus does here, this, this latter point. He knows that the notion of being set free will be particularly offensive to these Jews, uh, and therefore that's what he points to. Verses 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, Jesus says. Going on to say, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And hence in verse 33, uh, the Jews object, asserting that they have never been enslaved to anyone. And I don't wish to smother you with quotes today, but I have uh, one further for you at least, uh, this being from Matthew Henry. Uh, and in describing this verse, he says, Christ spoke of spiritual liberty, uh, thereby uh, discerning that he, he's not speaking of a, a physical or a political captivity, which of course the Jews were readily aware that they had been captive to Egypt and Rome and other nations, uh, but rather a spiritual liberty. Christ spoke of spiritual liberty, but carnal hearts feel no other grievances than those that molest the body and distress their worldly affairs. Talk to them of their liberty and property, tell them of waste committed upon their lands or damage done to their houses, and they understand you very well. But speak of the bondage of sin, captivity to Satan, and liberty by Christ. Tell of wrong done to their precious souls and the hazard of their eternal welfare, then you bring strange things to their ears. And as a uh, aside, though relevant point, though the, the freedom spoken of by Jesus here relates to a, a spiritual freedom, uh, nonetheless, the, the fact that the Jews have been in places of, of physical or political captivity uh, is typical, is pictorial in nature of the, and their subsequent releasing from that, is typical or pictorial in nature of the freedom which we have spiritually in Christ when we are set, by, set free by him. And so hence this, uh, this literal captivity is right in line with what Jesus is teaching in this passage. But Jesus speaks not of physical or political captivity and freedom, but that which is spiritual with him and his word as the only antidote to freedom. Notice here uh, that Jesus only gives us two options. Only two options are, present, are presented to us in the text. You are either free in Christ or a slave to sin. You are 
one or the other. Paul speaks similarly, and I'll get us to turn to some passages in a moment, so just hold it for the moment. But Paul speaks similarly in Romans 6, where he says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The verse that we all know from Sunday school. For the wages of sin is death. What you get when you work for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So though we are most undeserving, all who turn from their sin and trust in God's Messiah, as Jesus had bid the Jews to do time and again, will be saved from their sin, being delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to his glorious kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so all of the applications or points today uh, come in a, I guess you'd say, an introspective question. So the first question, will we pursue our freedom in 80 years of sin or in an eternity of truth? 80 years there being emblematic of around about an average period of life. Will we pursue our freedom in 80 years of sin or in an eternity of truth? Verses 37 to 40 how Abraham's children should act. In some crossover between my stated sections, uh, there is discussion between the Jews and Jesus in verses 33 and 37 to 41 as to being children of Abraham. And so being me as I am, I came to this section and asked myself, well, what is a child of Abraham? If we're to be children of Abraham, we probably ought to know what that is. Uh, and Jesus affirms to some degree uh, that the people he's speaking to are children of Abraham, at least biologically. He says in verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. But he goes on to describe that there's uh, more than just biological lineage that is encompassed in the meaning of being a child of Abraham. In verses 39 to 41, he says, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. So what did Abraham do? Turn with me right to the start to Genesis chapter 12 in just creating a little background. in Genesis 12, starting from verse 1 just to verse 4, it says, Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram went as Yahweh had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abraham is met by Yahweh and basically believes him and does what he is told. Over a page or two to Genesis 15. 
Genesis 15, 1 to 6 says, After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed Yahweh, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham, or Abram, who becomes Abraham, uh, starts this journey initially. In you, all of the nations will be blessed. And subsequently, after a period of time, uh, Yahweh comes to him and he says, I have no child. How is it that this promise is to eventuate? Uh, but though he is old, uh, he, Yahweh says to him that he will give him this child and through this child, all of the nations will be blessed. Abram believes that and it's counted to him as righteousness. Uh, lastly, turn to Romans with me. Uh, Romans chapter 4. And then we'll camp out in John for a long time. So Romans 4 verses 13 to 17. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. The offspring of Abraham, you'll remember from John 8. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So children of Abraham, put shortly, uh, and we'll go into this in more depth, believe God. They believe in the promises of God and act in accordance with that belief. So Abraham believes or has faith in the promise of God that the Messiah, the one who will bless the nations, will come from him, will be his son. And the true offspring of Abraham does or do the same thing. They believe God and have faith in this Messiah to come, or in the case of the Jews here, the Messiah who is standing just an arm length away from them, as it were. True offspring surely do not seek to kill the Messiah. And Galatians 3.29 gives us further specificity as to the nature of Abraham's offspring. And if you are Christ's, it says, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So just to give you some heads, because we'll go into this uh, in a little more depth in a second. But what did Abraham do, or how should Abraham's children act? They should believe, they should have faith in God and act in accordance with that belief. They should have faith in the Messiah, the one who reveals the Father. They should abide in 
and submit to Jesus' word and teaching. They should be set free by that teaching, and they should certainly not seek to kill him. And it's a point that I've raised, I think, in the last two weeks, so I won't camp on it for a long time, but I think nonetheless it's good to be reminded, certainly for myself, uh, that perhaps the most challenging point of those that I've just listed is with regards to being set free by Jesus' teaching. I sort of think that's, that's an odd statement, Tobias. What do you mean? Remember the purpose uh, that John states of this book in chapter 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. For us to be set free by Jesus' teaching, it implies necessarily that we are hearing and submitting to that teaching. So of course one who does that will be set free by the teaching, but it requires that we are actually doing that. And in every area of our life, the more we submit to Jesus, the more we become a slave of God, to use a very unpopular term, the more we will actually know true freedom. And so of course, once again, if we listen to and submit to Jesus' teaching, we will be set free by it. It will be the natural product of one who listens and submits to God. Uh, But the question is, Are we doing that? To what extent are we doing that? If we are to uh, get to death's door and look back at our lives, to what extent will we see this trajectory which chooses Christ evermore and becomes evermore free in him? Or to what extent will it be up and down or in a downward trajectory? When we abide in Jesus' freedom-giving teaching, we will absolutely find life in his name. And so our, uh, our inward question, will your actions tell the story of a child of Abraham? Verses 41 to 47, the actions of God and the devil's children. And once again, for clarity, the actions of God's children and the actions of the devil's children, respectively. So uh, to confront what in my mind is a, a sort of an elephant in the room with this, within this text, verses 41 to 47, Uh, Verses 41 and 44 say this, Jesus speaking to the Jews, you are doing the works your father did. And he goes on, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. This is one of those things where if we read it just in black and white or perhaps red and white uh, on the page, we can miss some of the punch of what he's saying. Uh, Jesus becomes explicit as to exactly what he thinks of these Jews uh, whom he's speaking to. Uh, And remember who he is talking to. Verse 13 uh, notes that the discussion is with the Pharisees, with the Jews being named as a part of the same conversation from verse 22 onwards. Uh, And Jews, as we've reflected, is sometimes used as shorthand for the Jewish leaders. Uh, But minimally, Though this is a conversation that involves Jewish leaders, uh, the heads of the religion, uh, there may well be others involved, but minimally there are uh, a focal group of Pharisees that are involved in this conversation whereby Jesus has just said, you guys are sons of the devil. A fairly poignant statement. Uh, And as I sort of thought through this, I guess because of the nature of of Reformed Baptist churches, it's a little bit different to have an exact equivalent example. We don't really have some sort of a... uh, an alumni or a hierarchy that we look up to. Uh, But you would have a somewhat more akin relationship with uh, the Roman Catholic Church. 
If someone were to say something like this uh, to the Pope or to those who are high up perhaps in the Anglican communion, it would be a, a more direct correlation, an easier thing to understand, to make an application from. But suffice to say, uh, Jesus calling the Pharisees here or the Jews at large sons of the devil uh, is a fairly big deal. And Jesus here uh, is not being unreasonable. Sometimes when we read of Jesus being angry, uh, we tend to, to lower his bar, to put it in terms of our own terms. God is never unreasonably angry, nor is his anger ever unhinged like ours might be. Jesus is being entirely reasonable here. He has revealed himself plainly time and again. And these Jews have had plenty of chance to receive God's mercy, and yet they have chosen to ignore, chosen to be willfully ignorant of who Jesus is time and again. And hence Proverbs 3.34 perhaps applies. Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favour. Or as James quotes it from the Septuagint in the, the book of his own name in chapter 4 verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we continue to reject Jesus, if we scorn him, if we deride him, we will receive the same in turn. But if we humble ourselves, he gives favour. And the fact you are here today would likely indicate you are in the latter group, and praise be to God for that. So to apply, uh, let us not be like the Pharisees who were exposed to so much, yet believed so little and rejected so much. We have been and are exposed to so much of God's truth May our lives be very much shaped by the same. And so the third question for you, will the level of your exposure to God's truth match your level of transformation? In 2023, I've said it before and will say it again unashamedly, we have so much access to God's truth being uh, the Bible itself. I was thinking uh, just this week when I sat down to, to pray, within uh, an arm's reach from me was at least three physical Bibles, and I had two devices which also have several Bibles on them. Uh, even in just access to God's Word, we are, are so blessed, so privileged, dare I use that word, uh, and subsequently in all the resources that we have, uh, we continue to be blessed by God abundantly. So will the level of your exposure to God's truth match your level of transformation. And to the last section of this section, uh, I want to survey the actions of God's children or the children of Abraham uh, and those of the devil's children, starting with the latter. In the 34th verse, uh, it says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So you might ask yourself, is sin a main character in my life? Or is it just a nameless extra, to use phrases from the film industry? In verse 41, you were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, just very briefly, some say they're speaking of sexual immorality as an assertion uh, that their religious descent was legitimate. They really were descended from Abraham. Uh, others say uh, this may be the Jews accusing Jesus uh, of his illegitimate birth due to Mary and Joseph not being married and Joseph not being his real father. Uh, regardless of the exact meaning, uh, the characteristic scene here is that children of the devil pridefully debate God instead of submitting to him. 
You know, the context is different. The words still match, uh, as Paul says in Romans. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Verses 43 and 47. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Children of the devil cannot hear and understand and abide in God's word. Jeremiah 6.10 says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of Yahweh is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. And in complementary fashion, 1 Corinthians 2 speaks, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That word folly uh, is the Greek word moriah, which we get our word moron from. Uh, I preached a sermon through Corinthians at one stage, which was entitled, Whose moron will you be? Uh, a moron to the world or a moron to God? Those are your choices. So you may speak uh, a perfect gospel to someone by way of application. Uh, they may follow you word by word, syllable by syllable, uh, and it may produce, they may understand it all, but it may produce no benefit in them. They may have, as indeed is the case with some that I know, they may have read the entirety of the Bible uh, multiple times over. And not in the case of people that I know, but they might even say that they believe it, and yet it produces no appreciable difference in their lives. This is because uh, to merely hear the words of God uh, is not enough. The Spirit must grant regeneration of the heart such that one would not just hear audibly or read with the eyes, but would understand what is being said. And clearly the Jews uh, had not had this gift granted to them by God. Moving on to children of God or children of Abraham to stick with the words of the text. In verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. Children of God, to put it simply, love his Christ. They love the Messiah. They love the one who came to reveal the Father. The Pharisees, the Jews, claimed uh, to love God, and yet the very one who came uh, to, to declare him, to proclaim him to them, they rejected, evidencing that they had no love for the Father whatsoever. And this love here is not merely emotional, but it shows itself in devotion, in obedience, uh, and very simply, believing what God says. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not just have uh, these warm and fuzzy feelings inside you, uh, but you will keep my commandments. Your love will show itself in obedience. In verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Children of God, aside from uh, those who have not been granted such an ability, children of God have the ability to hear his word. They've been given the power to spiritually discern, and so the word of the cross is to them the power of God. It is not folly, it is not moronic, it is the power of God. And strengthening that in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And as I have considered the text in my head, 
Uh, perhaps if I were to give you just one point to camp out on, uh, it would be this, that children of God abide in God's word. It, will, uh, it is the, the mechanism of producing greater discipleship. It is also the end of greater discipleship, that one who is a, a child of God will abide in his word. And yet that abiding in God's word also uh, progresses one in their faith as a child of God. Having had their powers of discernment regenerated to be able to hear and understand his powerful word, God's children abide in the same. Their lives reflect a pattern of those who are like their master. Christ-like, to personify the term, Christ-like is a main character in the life of God's child, with sin as an ever more insignificant extra. And so the point or the, the reflective question. Will you hear, understand, abide in, and be set free by his truth? So to conclude uh, very swiftly, the four points, the four questions for consideration. Will we pursue our freedom, quote-unquote, in 80 years of sin or in an eternity of truth? Will your actions tell the story of a child of Abraham? Will the level of your exposure to God's truth match your level of transformation? And lastly, will you hear, understand, abide in, and be set free by his truth? My exhortation to you once again, in line with the text, is to not be like the Pharisees, but to be like Jesus, to be like a follower of Jesus, a child of Abraham, those who uh, have taken up to return to the start, who have taken up their polarised lenses uh, given to them by the original and best manufacturer. They have heard and understood the good word. They have seen the glorious ocean floor beneath and who then abode in this word, uh, finding freedom as they did so. May we be like these who choose Christ uh, in every area of life, and not those who reject the same. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for this section of Scripture, and I pray uh, for every one of us that we would turn away from our sin, turn away from uh, worldly ways, and that you would give us great discernment uh, to choose you, to discern you, and to choose you in every area of life. May we hear your word, may we understand it, may we abide in it and be set free by it. Lord, glorify your name in the remainder of this service, I pray. Uh, may we find a greater love in emotion, but certainly in devotion uh, as a result thereof. In Jesus' name, amen.